Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. Paul writes the book of Romans to the believers in the most prominent and influential city of the age, Rome. These believers, like many Christians, are struggling with a specific theological tension. Is belief enough? Or are certain works required as well? There are Jewish believers on both sides of the argument, and the Gentile believers in Rome are not sure what to think. In this episode, we talk about this central question, how Paul addresses it, and how we still wrestle with it today. Romans is absolutely one of my favorite books. And once you kind of see what's really going on, it's really colorful and lively. Um, it's a, it's a, an amazing story. It's part of an amazing story. But you have to do a little bit of uh, sleuthing to kind of get what the story is, because most of the story's inferred. You know, it seems like the book of Romans would be a really important book. I mean, it's Rome is the competing empire of the time, the kingdom uh, most directly against which the you know, kingdom of God. So you would assume that Paul is like writing to try to to try to convince the the Romans to, you know, to leave the allegiance to the emperor and come towards the allegiance of God. It would be a reasonable assumption to say, hey, the apostle Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. Rome is the center of the Gentile world, so that's where he should go first. Right. But he didn't go there. And it would be reasonable to assume that he's writing a letter to get them, you know, saved. Yeah, it'd be, you'd assume that there just isn't, there aren't many believers or any believers in Rome and that this is mostly an evangelistic endeavor. That's what you would think, but that's not what actually it is. Mm. Therefore, this is not only uh, lively and colorful, it's a bit surprising when you come to it. So here, here's what I'm going to assert to you that Romans is. It's a political pamphlet. All right, and when you when you see Romans, you should think of the ninety-five thesis that was nailed to the door. That's that's making a claim. That's part of a big fight. Or you should think Thomas Paine, Common Sense. That's a pamphlet that's widely distributed. That's part of a big fight. That's really what this is. It's it's not trying to get people to do something that they're not already doing. It's Picking a side in a big dispute. Okay, so is is the purpose of the pamphlet for Paul to be clear? Is he trying to stir things up and be controversial? Well, real, really good question. I don't think so. Now, admittedly, a lot of this is being inferred. We'll dig into why I'm inferring this. But I don't think so. My, my best guess is that he was asked into this fight by the people that were his allies, which is mainly Priscilla and Aquila. So I think this is Priscilla and Aquila against the, who are the grace Jews, against the, the Gentiles have to convert to Judaism Jews, which is the big fight that Paul causes Paul to write most of his letters, or at least the larger ones. And I think they they were fighting that fight in Rome and sent to Paul and asked for him to use his apostolic authority to weigh in on their side. I, th- I think that's what's happening. Yeah. So how does Paul 
How does Paul know those two? Are we getting ahead of ourselves? No, no, that's great. So first of all, why don't we just look at, well, you know, why do you think that's the case? And I think we can look at uh, Romans 16, which is the last chapter of Romans. Paul is closing up the letter, and he here is telling you whose side he's on in this dispute. And so he starts with, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, Jesus. All right, so I'm anointing these two. They're on my side. They're my fellow workers. My authority goes with them. They're the good guys in this fight. And then he goes on and and talks about a lot of other people. Now, Priscilla and Aquila were fellow Jews, as it so happens, which I think is important in this fight because this is a Jew-on-Jew fight. But who's in the middle? The Gentiles. And remember, Christianity is is um, not separate from Judaism in the least at this point in time. It's part of the Jewish uh, faith. But there has been an agreement in, that is chronicled in Acts 15 that there's no requirement for the Gentiles to be culturally become Jewish by getting circumcised and obeying the Jewish regimen. We're all one in Christ. We all have the same law written on our hearts. We all have the same uh, benefits of following in the ways of God, but all the circumcision and following the rules didn't get Israel saved. We're saved by grace through faith. Peter says that in the Jerusalem council. And so he says, why put a burden on the Gentiles that we weren't able to bear? So don't make them do that. And then James, who is the uh, head elder. So you got the head apostle and the head elder, because this is Paul versus some believing Pharisees, and this is Acts 15, believing Pharisees who said, no, you do have to get circumcised and obey the law of Moses. So that's the dispute. And um, Peter stands up and says, well, you know, the faith came to the Gentiles through me. The Holy Spirit fell on them and they weren't circumcised. How can we, how can we say they got to get circumcised? And then James says, well, I'm paraphrasing now. James, the head elder, says, well, yeah, okay, you're right. But there are towns where there's synagogues and Jews and there's Gentiles, and we don't want there to be a schism. So let's write a letter to the Gentiles and say, hey, you don't have to be circumcised and follow the law, but please follow the Noahic covenant, which is don't eat blood mixed with and don't, um, don't do sexual immorality and don't do idols, you know. If you do those things, your fellow believers won't be able to fellowship with you. So come, come this way this far for the purpose of fellowship. So it was a very practical thing. All right, let's, let's remove stumbling blocks to intimate fellowship. And they send that letter out. So you would think that settled it, but it didn't. And so these guys, these Jewish people who believed that uh, the, the Gentiles should have to convert and, and follow all the customs, follow Paul around everywhere. And the Jews that didn't believe also persecuted Paul. Their rationale could be a many things, but probably one of them was the Jews had a carve-out under the Roman law that they were an exception to the general rule of you couldn't have a god that was above the Roman gods, or a god above Caesar, let's say. 
And they had an exception that in our case, we can do that. And so our, I think some of them argued that we're going to lose our religious exemption if, if we don't make it clear that these guys aren't part of us. And that might have been part of the, part of the drive. And part of the drive could be we're losing control here. You know, what, what's going to happen? All these pagans start doing this stuff, and they're, they're wackos. You know, all these pagan wackos, we can't let this happen. we got to get control of this thing. This all sounds very political. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> you know, political means people mm-hmm. interacting. So, yeah, there's, the world has always been political. You can't live in any sphere that's not political. Yeah, but what's interesting is what you're saying is this is a political an internal political pamphlet within the body of believers. This isn't a, you know, a political pamphlet sent to, like, aimed at uh, non-Christians or people who are... In a different party, Yeah, or basically. Yeah, p- yeah, people, like, just people who are committed to Caesar and to the Roman way of life. This is an internal political Yeah, completely. Pamphlet. And let me, let me show you maybe the most surprising thing about Romans if you come to it with the assumption that Paul is writing an evangelism track. The first clue you should get that that's totally off base is in Romans 1.8, and it says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Well, he's writing, he's writing to the Roman believers, and they're not marginal believers, as you would expect, right? You're in the middle of the Roman Empire, and it's illegal to be Christian unless you fall under this Jewish exemption, which maybe is up in grabs at this point in time. But, you know, not that long after this is written, Paul's going to be murdered by, um, by Nero, who's Roman emperor. So, you know, it's a little dicey at this point in time. So if someone's in Rome, which is the center of the world, and they are willing to be a Christian, that takes a lot of courage. And so... It makes sense that their faith would be spoken of throughout the whole world. Yeah, you know, that that is a surprising verse because I, I feel like, for me, growing up in church, you hear, like, the Roman the Roman way as an evangelistic tool with the verses that say the wages of sin is death and all of those sorts of things in it. So it, it makes it seem as though the book is clearly written with this, uh, you know, evangelistic towards outsiders message and what you're saying is that's not the case well you could you could come in here and say well he's preaching a sermon and in a crowd that you're preaching a sermon to there's always at least one person that's not a believer and well you can say that it just ignores 100 percent of the context <laughs> of the letter right that's just not what he's explicitly no laying out now can you use those verses and apply them in, in an evangelistic way, absolutely. Of course. You can do that with the entire Bible. So it's, it's perfectly reasonable. But it's not, what this, it's not what's happening here in, in terms of the context of in, in, in the moment, in the time. So Paul, so Paul in other contexts is addressing this question. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila are addressing this in, in Rome, um, in the church in Rome. And so we like haven't you, said what the question is. Yeah, know, we haven't said what the question is, right? <laughs> yeah, so what I was about to say is this must have been very, like, this must have been essential for the early church. It must be something that, that's, that's very, you know, important to, for them to figure out. Yeah, and, and in fact, 
Um, it, it's, I would say it's central. This is a central question, a, a material central question. And the central question is the question that was debated at the Jerusalem Council. Do you have to believe and or just believe? Which is it? Believe and or believe? Paul's side is just believe. In order to be um, made righteous in the sight of God. But Paul segregates and says, but then you have a choice whether to walk in faith or not. And if you want to actually experience the righteousness you were given, then you have to walk in obedience. But you don't have to do that to be made righteous in the sight of God. Acceptance is 100% given. Approval depends on you. Okay, So the, Paul separates the two. The opponents collapse the two. Okay, in order to be accepted, you have to also live an approved life. They go together. It's one package. You can't do one without the other. You have to do both. And in Romans is the in the book of Romans is the the and is it circumcision? Is it are there is it other things? Is it anything? Is several things? Is the bait you know between a specific uh, thing on the other side of that ampersand, or is it just do you need anything other than faith? Well, let's just actually go to Acts 15 and, and, and read it firsthand. I can tell you, but it might be better just to read it. We'll just start with the whole context, Acts 15:1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. So the context here is Paul is at Antioch, which is north, so down is elevation down because Jerusalem's always up. And so they're going elevation down to Antioch. And taught the brethren. So this is this is bre- this is Jewish brethren teaching Gentile Jewish brethren because this is the f- Antioch. There were Jewish and Gentile both. And here's what they taught them: Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So here are people who had received the Holy Spirit, and now they're hearing that didn't count. You also have to be circumcised. Now, when you say circumcised, does that mean just that one thing? When you're circumcised, that is a sign of coming into the Abrahamic covenant. And if you come into the Abrahamic covenant, you also inherit the Mosaic covenant, which to a Jew means you're now part of this agreement between God and Israel, which is if you obey the law, you're blessed, and if you don't obey the law, you're not blessed. It's it's really the whole thing. And you can see that in verse 5 because uh, we'll just keep reading on verse 3 here. I'm sorry, verse 2. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas, so Barnabas is the Apostle Paul's buddy here, had no small dissension, a big fight. (laughs) No small is big, right? Had a big fight and dispute with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem, which is the epicenter of of Judaism, right, and of Christianity. Um, to To the apostles and elders about this question, the apostles would be the guys that went with Jesus were his you know, disciples, and the elders would be the head of the Jerusalem church about this question. So we'll go to the authorities. So being sent on their way by the church, so now the, the um, church at Antioch is, is sending them to Jerusalem, the Paul and Barnabas. They pass through these various places, Phoenicia and Samaria, and along the way they're describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they cause great joy to the brethren. So here the brethren would be the Jewish believers. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church. Now, here the church is 
the Jews who had come to faith in the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. The church and the apostles and elders, and they reported all things that God had done of them. I'm sorry. They reported all things that God had done with them, through them. This is what's happening out in the Gentiles. But, so there's all this joy. Wow, this is amazing. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed. So they're part of the church. They're part of the church, but they're Pharisees. Okay? So some of the sect of the Pharisees who believe rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So your question is, it's one package. You get circumcised. When you get circumcised, you got to obey the law of Moses. <clears throat> so politically speaking, it is you got to join our party or you can't be saved. You got to be part of us and get in our circle and come under our authority, actually, in this particular case. So then in verse 6, it says, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. So it's a big dispute, and the Pharisees are the educated, credentialed, important people. So you don't just blow them off. And so the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, so this big argument, Peter rose up and said to them, now Peter is the, the apostle with the most authority. And he said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. It was Peter through whom the Gentiles received Christ. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Now, as you go through Acts, what you'll find is the Jews got the Holy Spirit when they were baptized, and the Gentiles got the Holy Spirit when they believed. So God is telling the Jews something. You need to repent. You already believe in God. You need to repent. Uh, the Gentiles, I'm just giving it to them just through faith. He's actually making a distinction for a point, and, and this is the thing Peter points to. I just told them, and they believed, and the Holy Spirit came. He made no distinction between us and them purifying their hearts by faith. This is Peter still talking. Now, therefore, why do you test God putting a yoke on the neck? A yoke is what you put on an animal, so it, a harness an animal so it can pull against it to pull a, a wagon. So why are you making these guys pull a wagon? Why do you put a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? And this is pretty amazing here that Peter is saying this because you, you read the Gospels and Peter's always, you know, Mo, Mo, Mo Larry How, uh, Curly, you know, he's always, uh, he's totally out to lunch. He he's, never always, runs. he's always the doofus that can't quite get it he right. Get, yeah. He just can't get it right. And here he's like, I now realize I just, the problem was me. I couldn't bear this. But we believe that through the grace of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Well, that's pretty powerful, right? Now, as an aside, this is all written by Luke, who was a companion of Paul and was in the middle of all these fights. And I think it's highly reasonable to infer the reason he wrote Luke and Acts, or the reason he wrote Acts was to document that Paul's authority is real and that the other side, if you will, agreed with Paul 
at least at one point. And I think the reason he wrote Luke was to legitimize Acts. Hmm. He was with Jesus, or at least telling us, was he with Jesus? Or just no, 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 he just tells the tells story, story of Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. And Sets that gives him up as a writer, yes, a storyteller, and then goes on to tell the yes. other story, Acts. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. So he legitimizes himself as a documentarian, mm-hmm. and then gives the documentary that he started to do this in the first place. Because as you'll go through and read Paul's letters, which is all, the, this fight is either central or weaving through everything he writes. What you'll see is one of the main detractions is against Paul's authority. He's not a real apostle, and they give all kinds of reasons why he's not a real apostle. He, he doesn't accept money. That means that nobody will pay him to do it, he, so that he's not real for that reason. Um, he didn't really walk with Christ. He's not real for that reason. If you have a political fight, one of the main things you want to do is undermine the legitimacy of your opponent. <laughs> right, right. The quickest way to success there, yeah. Which is the same thing they did to Jesus, right? So these guys are very – I mean, they didn't get their exemption from Rome by being political doofs. I mean, they're, they're very astute in, in their maneuvering. Yeah, you know, as you're talking about this, it occurs to me that you know, we said this issue of is it just belief or belief and so central to the early church. It occurs to me that it's just a, been a central struggle for the entirety of Christianity. You mentioned the – 95 thesis and that's a lot of martin luther is like look it's faith alone we don't need faith and indulgences or, or other things and even today in in our modern church context it, this seems like a a similar struggle but we're you know reading through uh this section of of acts and and early on in in uh, romans and it seems pretty clear what the answer to this is why is it so tempting for us to go back to to this question when it seems fairly settled here? Well, because we're human, and what humans like is certainty and control, which they can't have. Yeah, the so, law is a great measurement, right, for us to yes to say like I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do. We can't have certainty and control, so we want the illusion of certainty and control, and that's why idolatry is is. Uh, is uh, attractive. Um, one of my favorite idolatry passages is Isaiah 44, and and God says, it's actually quite humorous to me. God says, "Come on, come on, really? Look, you cut a tree down, and you take half of it and you make it into firewood, and you take the other half and you make us a a, a, a statue, and then you say, this will save me." Come on, that's not even reasonable. Well, so that, but that's what we do as humans. We're like, yes, but I can control this thing, and you're scary. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna have this illusion of control, that I can have this thing that saves me, that I'm in control. So now I'm in control of my own security, and I prefer the illusion to reality. Isn't that the whole reason that Israel wanted a king too? Well. I think Israel wanted a king because they wanted to shirk responsibility. So that's another thing we do as, as humans is um, I want agency. I want, I want to make my own choice, but I don't want the consequences of that choice. So I'm going to cede my agency to you, but I intend to actually keep it. So I'm, I'm actually ceding the consequences of my choices to you, but I'm going to keep my choices. Sorry. And God says, no, 
actually you're giving your choices up and you're going to hate it. And they say, yeah, well, we just don't want the responsibility. And then, of course, they become slaves and they hate it. But this is just it's what we do all the time as, using, as humans. That substance, I can take that substance and it will make me feel good and I can control it. I can stop any time. Well, that's your first step to addiction, right? Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.